This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Gomez. In this episode, I interview Heather Gavrish, an educator and mom who currently lives in Minnesota. Heather's worked at a nonprofit in New Hampshire, a science museum in Australia, and a zoo in Minnesota before she left and took her most recent job as a middle school science teacher. Heather and I talk in detail about her work at museums, nonprofits, and zoos. So this is a great interview for anyone who's interested in learning more about any of those specific paths. Hi, Heather. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Great. I'm really excited that you're here today. I wanted to share your story of working in informal roles in education, which we're going to dive into throughout this entire episode. But I'd like if you just first kind of started off sharing your story, just like a brief overview of who you are and your history uh, working in and out of education. Sure. Um, so my name is Heather. I live in Minnesota. Um, I am married and I have a one and a half year old son. And I spent the last three years working as a middle school science teacher um, at a very small, like low income private school. And it was a lot. Um, it was one of those things where each year I was hoping it would get easier and it kept getting harder. Uh, the first year I was hired pretty much right before the first day of school, uh, only realized after I got the job that I had no curriculum and four grades to teach. So I spent that first full year just kind of trying to build the plane as I was flying it, as they say, and make up my curriculum as I was going. The next year I was pregnant and went on maternity leave. The day I came back from maternity leave was uh, when we started distance learning because of COVID. And then obviously last year with COVID, with um, the George Floyd murder in Minneapolis, and I teach in the Twin Cities, or taught in the Twin Cities, and with a lot of our staff leaving, uh, I just had no support at my school and really children that were having a really hard time and nobody to really help us out. So it was a really hard year. I decided at the end of the year that for my family's sake and my mental health, I needed to quit. And then found out about a day or two after that I was getting laid off anyways they were cutting the science teacher position. So uh, it's been a interesting rough couple of three years. Uh, I love the kids and I, I learned a lot about myself and I learned that I really do like teaching, but the school I was at was difficult. Um, so now I'm just trying to figure out, do I wanna go back into the classroom later when my son's a little bit older? Do I want to go get a master's in between? Or do I wanna kind of look back into some more informal science ed like I was doing previously? So that's where I'm at. Yeah, you and I actually met on there is a live Zoom call with teachers who were thinking of leaving the classroom. And that's where I had heard you mention that you worked in a couple of industries or experiences that I know teachers are looking into, um, nonprofits, museums, and zoos. And mm -hmm. I think you touched all three of those in your past career. Yes. So I um, had an internship actually at a, a nonprofit in New Hampshire where I grew up and um, they focus on marine conservation. So they did a lot of really cool stuff. They actually went out on whale watch boats um, to do research and to um, 
do outreach to the public that were on the boats. They did a bunch of beach cleanups. They did school programs. So I did an internship with them. And then the following year when I graduated from college, um, got a, got a job with them afterwards. And it was really cool. Uh, just a really neat experience. I got to actually be the naturalist on the boat. So the one on the microphone being like, on your right, there's a humpback whale, like, which was really cool. Um, and I found the school programs I really liked, which I guess should have been a clue back then that I was into teaching. But um, I was a programs assistant, I think was my title. So I helped them coordinate a lot of the school programs or community programs, and then would also go out and sometimes deliver those programs as well. So I'd go to the local schools, give them a presentation about, you know, conserving the ocean and the different animals that the nonprofit studied and um, do the same thing sometimes with community outreach events as well. So as you were working at the nonprofit, did you find yourself writing some of the curriculum that you were presenting to the schools as well? I did. Um, they had kind of a standard uh, presentation that they would usually do, but we did have schools that would call and say, hey, our um, you know, high school biology classes learning about marine mammal physiology, can you come up with a, a presentation? Or we are connecting this with Earth Day, so can we focus a little bit more on like actionable items that the students can do and tie it in with a beach cleanup that the school can do for a field trip? So um, I didn't do a ton of writing from scratch, but I would do a lot of modifying of the, the information they already had to make that fit the school's request. For teachers who are interested in pivoting actually from the classroom into nonprofit, do they need to take an internship program or do you think with their experience, they'd be able to just go kind of directly into that nonprofit role? I think with their experience, they'd definitely be able to go into kind of a, a programs coordinator. Every every nonprofit calls it something a little different, but outreach coordinator, programs coordinator, um, even maybe a volunteer coordinator, things like that. I think with the experience from teaching, obviously, if you've been a teacher, you have to be organized, you have to be well-spoken, you have to be at least to some extent a people person and be able to relate to other people. Um, so I think that they'd be able to jump right into that, honestly. It's a little bit different because you are sometimes speaking to the general public or mixed ages or uh, maybe even a, like a bigger group of, of children or a bigger group of people. So it's a little bit different. I would say there's also probably more administration, administrative ta tasks than teaching in terms of like a lot of my job was coordinating ahead of time. So I would email with the teachers or call them to pick a time and make sure it was scheduled and make sure the equipment was ready and half the time, like even bring my own car and drive myself there. So uh, it is a little bit more like start to finish. You're in charge of like every aspect of like the field trip or the school program. And there's a lot of emailing and things like that. But I mean, teachers are good at that too. So did you have any duties where you had to know about even grants or like grant writing when it came to working at a nonprofit? I didn't do a ton of that. Um, again, I was right out of college. So there were people kind of above me in the nonprofit that did that there. That definitely is something that nonprofits always need. So if if you are a teacher, especially maybe like an English or ELA teacher who has very good writing skills and editing skills, that is going to take you far because nonprofits, they always need more money. I mean, <laughs> there's always grants out there that they're looking to get. I helped a little bit more with like the reporting that they uh, and the paperwork they needed for the grants versus actually writing the um, like to get approved for the grant, if that makes sense. How did you vet the nonprofit that you wanted to work for? Did you just, you know, do a Google search nonprofit near me? Or were you very hyper focused on causes that you were really passionate about? A little bit of both. Um, it was actually recommended to me by my aunt who lived in the area and had volunteered with them before, I think. So uh, like, obviously, a personal recommendation is the best if you have them. Um, making sure that it's an actual like 501c3 a designation, I think that's the right designation for nonprofits is like the first step to make sure they're actually a nonprofit and not like a weird for-profit group. Um, for me, I always liked the ocean. I, I have a degree in biology. When I was little, I thought I was going to be like a dolphin trainer or a marine biologist when I was like five. So it was definitely right up my alley in terms of um, the content as well. And I think that makes it a lot more interesting if it's something that you want to do. And I think that's one of the great things about if you are thinking of leaving the classroom, you do have that opportunity to maybe look for causes that you're really interested in. Because we know with teaching, you have to teach the standards for the most part. Um, and you might have to teach stuff you don't care about. The amount of times I had to teach physics and chemistry, and I am terrible at both of those, but those are in the standards for sixth grade and, and seventh grade. So um, I think that could be a great opportunity for teachers to stop and be like, what was my favorite thing to teach about? Or what's it like a cause that I was really into when I was in college or when I was little and find a nonprofit that maybe 
connects to that. And then that's going to be something you're passionate about. So even if you're like, I have to sit in an office and do emails part of the time, it's like, well, you're doing it to set up or to support a cause that you really care about. What was one of the decision-making factors that ultimately led you to leaving working at that nonprofit and pursuing another um, career? The scheduling and kind of inconsistency of the hours, because a lot of their work was outdoors, like literally on whale watch boats or on beaches, it was very seasonal. I mean, in New England, nobody's going out on a whale watch boat in December. So it was very seasonal during the summer. It was like 40, 50 hours a week. During the winter, it was like four or five hours a week. So it was very inconsistent across the year, which you'll find with a lot of nonprofits, they have certain busy seasons and other seasons aren't so busy. And because they, a lot of them, this was a very small nonprofit, literally probably like five or six staff when I was working there. Um, they have to be really careful with their money. So they couldn't pay me like 40 hours a week to sit in their office and answer like two calls a day. So that was the biggest issue for me was it was just so inconsistent that it wasn't really going to be a way I could support myself unless I wanted to have like be juggling like multiple part-time jobs or doing, you know, other opposite season work to balance it out. Was the seasonality just because your role was mostly outside and you were the, you know, kind of facilitator of those types of events? But um, I guess what I'm asking is, were the grant writers working more consistently year round or some of the different duties? Do you think yes. that there might be more consistency there? Certainly like the director and the um, volunteer coordinator and some of the slightly higher positions were working more hours um, and they would have certain things like they did a lot of research of the whales. Like they would literally track which whales were in which locations and track marine debris that we saw it on the boat. So then during the winter, they would be doing like data collection and writing um scientific papers for publication and things like that but there's just so few roles of that at, at a smaller nonprofit that uh there's only a couple people that they can really sustain year round uh any sort of like sciencey nonprofit or environmentally sh i should say nonprofit a lot of times is seasonal because you take advantage of the summer to do the outside stuff it depends where you live too i mean this was in new england so there was only so much they could do in the winter uh the other reason it was partially seasonal was they did a lot of summer camps so they did some school programs that were like scattered across the year. And there was um, the international beach cleanup through the Ocean Conservancy is in the fall. So they, that would, they would be really busy during that time. But yeah, they did a ton of summer camp programs where they would bring like, um, like touch tank animals, like little tidal animals like crabs and, and snails and things to summer camps. We also had a 60-foot inflatable whale that they would bring to like summer <laughs> camps. And the kids could like go inside and learn about like the anatomy of a, of a giant fin whale which was really cool. Um, so that is definitely a question to ask or to look into if you are going to look towards nonprofits is, is this a seasonal position? Is it going to be like a summer camp fit focused thing? Or is it going to be research or something that you're doing? Or is it going to be something that you can you can work for the full year and that's going to be more of a sustainable option for you? And with working um, even seasonally, were they open to you having multiple jobs or having a different stream of income coming in as you were working there? Some places are more open than others. Yeah, they definitely were. Like they understood in the winter that there wasn't a ton of work. They just asked me to pick specific days or specific hours to keep it consistent to come in so that they knew when to expect to have someone in the office and vice versa so that I would have the ability to go and get other work if I wanted to. Um, I chose to use that time to just job search and look for a different job because I loved working there. I loved the message. It was really cool um, doing the school programs and doing the cool summer, more summer programs, but it just wasn't going to be sustainable. They They didn't anticipate having a position open up that would be more full-time for me and I wasn't really happy with you know just a few hours a week in the winter that wasn't really supporting me so so during that time when you were job searching is that when you found your role working at the museum no actually so I ended up working at a scientific journal um, in Boston where it was um, they did science scientific publications so I worked in the editorial side so contacting um, researchers and scientists to ask them to publish with us and, and chatting with them about their work. And I also worked on the sales side. So talking to a lot of universities and trying to convince them of why they needed our specific journal. So I did that for a while. Sales was was a lot. I would not necessarily recommend that. I, I was pretty good at it, actually, because of the educating part of it. A lot of sales is actually just 
educating someone on the product, which I know you've talked about on the podcast before too. Um, if you don't think of it so much as like being a salesperson and more of just being an educator and showing someone why your product is important. Um, so I was good at some aspects of sales, I would say. Um, it was not great long-term for me. There was a little bit too much pressure uh, to close the deal and to get certain quotas and things like that. So that's the job that got me to Australia. So I lived in Australia for a few years. Um, and once that job kind of fizzled out, uh, I worked, I attempted for a while. And then I saw this job opportunity come up at a science museum in Australia. And I was like, it's been a few years since I've worked at the nonprofit. I don't really know if, if it's going to be a good fit, but I'm going to try it. Like it, I hate this temping job I'm doing and I, I'm going to take a chance and try it. And I had a great interview. You had to like prepare a, a little educational program kind of a practice one to give them an interview. So I used my stuff that I had known from the nonprofit that I used to do with the school programs and kind of changed that into a little mini program for the interview and they loved it and they gave me a chance. So So what was your specific role at the museum? I worked as a presenter in the education and community programs uh, department. So it was um, kind of like a physics and engineering defocused museum. There was, they did a lot of like robotics workshops. They did um, a lot of kind of space themed uh, school programs. They had a planetarium that I got to work in and actually be the one to like push the buttons and like be like, if you look over here, you can see the stars and whatever. Um, and then they also had a lightning room. If you've ever been to a science museum that have like the big Tesla coils where they like shoot lightning. Uh, I got to work there. So I was mostly doing like the the presenting. So sometimes it was to the general public that was just coming to the museum. And sometimes it was for school programs that were coming uh, as like a field trip. What was it like working at that museum? Did you enjoy it? I really loved my experience there. Um, it's one of my favorite places I've worked probably. I had a really solid team. Like I kind of just felt like they were like my people. Like they were all kind of the right balance of like nerdy and cool. If that makes sense, like museum people are just like I get along really well with them, I think, especially science museum. Like that's what I'm interested in. Um, they were all just very kind and probably the best training I've ever had. I don't know if this is true to every museum, but this museum in particular, you would observe the program a few times. You'd have time to like study it and like research it to make sure you understood it. You'd get some practice time. You would do like a dress rehearsal kind of to one of the supervisors. And then the first time you actually performed it for an audience, you would have like a supervisor or someone there with you in case you forgot something or in case you needed some support. So I feel like a lot of jobs teaching in particular, sometimes you just get chucked into things and you're expected to just make it up as you go. And like I was saying with my first year in, in as a full-time classroom teacher, it was, you know, here's the science books, here's the Minnesota standards website, good luck. So it was kind of make it up as you go. Nobody was observing me. Nobody was helping me. Uh, whereas at this museum job, I felt very supported. It was like, they'd ask if you were ready a few times. It was like, we have a school program and, and no one's else is available that day. Can you do that one, even though you're not quite fully trained? But for the most part, they like made sure I fully understood each program that I was meant to be teaching before I was like put into it, which I really appreciated about working there. And it was just cool. It was just cool. <laughs> I got to do a liquid nitrogen show where like, it was like a chemistry show for like middle school students. So I actually got to like use liquid nitrogen to demonstrate like um, st state of change, state of matter changes. Um, and like, yeah, the lightning room was so cool. I got to like be the one to like have lightning come into the inside of a building and the people would be like, whoa. So it was just cool also. It was one of the directions I started heading when I left teaching as I started applying to quite a few of the museum jobs around here in Los Angeles. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. 
all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. What types of roles do you feel like teachers should pursue at museums? I think it depends a little bit on what your strengths are as a teacher. I think if your strengths are the presenting or like performance-based, then you will love being a presenter. For me, it was a little bit too performancey or drama-y. Like I don't love being like the center of attention in like a huge group of adults. Um, I like teaching middle school. High schoolers are too old and too scary for me. Like I have enough like public speaking fear that little kids don't bother me at all once they get to adulthood a huge group of adults like makes me a little jittery so it, it was sometimes a little bit too performancey for me the role that i was in but if you're a teacher that loves that then it's going to be a great role for you it's so fun you do different programs every day you have different types of groups so if you're someone who like likes to mix it up like one day you might be doing um a summer vacation program to this giant group of families in an auditorium and the next day you're doing like a small chemistry show for some middle schoolers and the next day you're doing like a general public lightning room show so it was it was a, a variety of people a variety of topics and that kept it really interesting um, if you're a teacher who really likes curriculum development or really likes being able to come up with new programs and maybe do a little bit of the presenting the next level up of like programs coordinator or curriculum development would be great because they always need someone to be coming up with new programs anytime the standards change or anything for a school uh, or for the school-based standards they have to kind of redo a lot of their programs um, they were always coming up with new programs for the general public um, and new program programs for like school vacation and summer camps and things like that so they always 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 need people who can have a look at the standards have a look at the current programs and be able to write a new program that's like really going to work for families and kids of different ages. One thing I want to just hop in and make sure I address for people who are listening is this is something that I always talk about in the teacher career coach course. But if you hear Heather right now talking about, you know, if you know you like presenting, if you know you like sales or you don't like sales or you don't like presenting, that is going to be something you have to get your hands dirty and actually find out if you like if you have never done it before. Because on paper, I think I know what I like. And I bet, Heather, you felt the same way. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what I like or don't like until I get into it. I thought I was terrified of public speaking. And now that is my role of talking in front of hundreds of people at national conferences. And I actually like it. But I had to push myself to try it before I realized whether or not I could do it. Did you find yes. yourself figuring out what you liked or didn't like in the moment? I did. The biggest thing for me was um, kind of how much, how much energy it took out of me. I can do the big presentations to mixed groups of people. This was also in Australia, so they freaking loved my American accent. They would like call me Captain America. The kids would be like, are you from Hollywood? Like that helped also. But um, I, I, can, I can do the big crowd things. It takes a lot out of me. Uh, it, it would take a lot of energy out of me. It took a lot of like hyping myself up to get there to the energy level you need to like entertain a big group of of you know, mixed adults and children. And it took a lot of energy out of me. So I, I was just noticing more that the days that it was like, okay, you have four lightning room shows in a row, I would be like, not looking forward to that day. Or afterwards, I would like, need a recovery day, because it just took a lot out of me. So for me, it was a little bit less of like what I didn't like or did like it. And it was more of noticing in my own body, like, which of these things is making me feel really excited and really full and afterwards I'm like that's so great I could do that all day and which of the things were at, were more of me going I need to recover from that or ooh I'm not looking forward to the next time I have to do that specific presentation that's really great insight and I feel like that's similar to my role as an educational consultant is very similar to a professional development trainer and most of the time I do one two trainings per day it could be one hour to three hours and those are okay but some days i'm or some weeks i'm flown somewhere in the united states and there's four days of conference sessions of maybe i do four conferences in one day every single day for that week that's very rare it only happens two or three days or two or three weeks out of the year mm -hmm. max, but those are very exhausting. And knowing that there there are roles at education companies or at museums that require you to do that many trainings, it's better to me personally 
than teaching because teaching is all of these different subjects where when you're doing these types of presentations at museums, you're on autopilot, probably doing the same trainings over and over again, the same questions, the same 10 things, which may sound boring, but it's a lot better than having decision fatigue of learning fifth grade history the day before it happens. Yes, I definitely have that. I had four grades of science that I was teaching in the classroom with pretty much no curriculum to go with them. So I was, yeah, a lot of days would be like, what am I teaching my fifth grade tomorrow? Or like, oh yeah, I'm also supposed to be doing a book study or a religion class or a SEL, um, like social emotional lesson tomorrow and I don't have it planned. Whereas working at a museum, it's planned well in advance. You know which programs you're doing, which days, someone else has usually written them for you. And like you said, it is autopilot those days that it was three or four different um, shows in the lightning room. By the fourth one, I was just, you know, absolutely on autopilot. I didn't have to worry about not knowing what I was going to say or not having the lesson prepared. It's already prepared for you. So um, I would say that the next level up, it was really nice that at the museum, there was kind of a clear track for upward mobility, which I think is a plus as well compared to teaching. Um, As most teachers probably know, it's kind of like you're either a teacher or maybe like a lead teacher, or like you're an admin. There's not a lot of room in between where you still get to use your teaching skills. And there's one admin. (laughs) Like there's one admin amongst us. And And they had to get their master's or something in administration, whatever their job is. So um, it was nice at the museum because like I had friends who started off the same level that I was at and they were promoted to the next level up. I'm blanking on their actual um, job title name, but something about programs coordinator or programs developer. So they would sometimes do some of the presentations, but like it was like maybe 50-50 or they would be doing some developing. They'd be doing like special events. Like they did like a Valentine's Day planetarium show that like specially wrote for that. So they would be like writing a special show or a special program or adding a new workshop or a new school program. And then sometimes they would also teach it, but it was kind of a little bit of a better balance of doing some of that program development stuff that as teachers, we're all good at coming up with curriculum and lessons and things. And then also still getting to do some of that, um, like student facing or public facing um, presenting as well. What ultimately led you to leave working at that museum? The scheduling was a bit tricky again. Um, I had basically no guaranteed hours. So when it was very busy, I would work like six days in a row. When it was not very busy, I'd work one or two days. Um, so again, it was a little bit up and down. It was not like a full-time salaried position. It was hourly and it was dependent on how many schools booked a field trip. It was dependent on the time of year. It was dependent on how many staff they had, you know, on vacation or not. So the scheduling wasn't great for me. A lot of the other presenters there also worked one or two other jobs. And for me, uh, I struggle with anxiety. So having to juggle multiple jobs, I tried that once. It's not good for me. I get very stressed. I feel like I'm constantly letting down one job or the other job. I just know for me personally, once again, you don't know until you do it. But for me, um, there was a point when I was trying to do two jobs and it wasn't good for my mental health. So I know that that's not going to work for me. So that's, that was part of the reason was the scheduling. It was just hard to know. It was hard for me not to have a consistent schedule every week. Um, And I didn't love that. If you continue to stay there, you did say that there was kind of a clear career trajectory within the museum. Were some of the positions just a few steps above you more consistent and salaried positions? Yes. So like one or two steps above me were much more consistent. Um, One step above me was kind of like developing some programs and still presenting some programs. And two steps above was more managing. Um, So helping with program development and then also managing and training the people that were just coming in and learning how to be presenters. So they definitely had a more regular schedule and they still had to work weekends. So museums, that's the thing to remember about something like a museum is or a nonprofit. They're open on weekends. So if you're someone who likes your weekends, just double check about that when you're applying to these jobs, because some of them are going to require you to work weekends, maybe require you to work nights for special programs. So I would usually get one weekend day off, not always. So that was a little struggle. My husband worked a regular nine to five job. So when I worked all weekend, like that, there goes our days to be together. I don't think I'd be as interested in that now that I have a kid because it is a lot harder. It's there goes your family time on the weekends. So 
that was another reason I didn't love it. Once again, once you get higher up, like one manager had to be working on the weekend. So I think they worked like one weekend a month or something like that. So again, a lot less weekend and evening time, the further you work your way up, but definitely entry level, you're going to be working some weekends. And that is something that everybody's going to have to make on an individual level. One thing that I've heard from a lot of teachers who are struggling and they say, I can't find a job that has work during the weekends or doesn't have the summers off. It's it's such a common roadblock for many people, but I always ask them to think about their overall happiness, not COVID, like let's just say pre-COVID because everybody's yep. kind of, you know, foggy and unhappy yep. right now. Not not to minimize anyone's pain or suffering through COVID, but, but it, it sucks try to right yeah. try to think prior to COVID if you were unhappy during your weekends, during your nights, and during your summers as a teacher, this may be actually still far better for you if you are happier throughout the year, but have less time off during those weekends and summers if you were already just, you know, mentally completely checked out from your family during those times that you were teaching. And let's be real. I like I didn't work on the weekends as a teacher. Of course I did. Every single Sunday I spent time doing lesson planning for the week. So and then you'd be like feel guilty about not starting it sooner and then feel guilty about not hanging out with your family or saying no to plans or something. So at least this way it's it's you're scheduled for that day and you have this many hours. And I never brought work home aside from Mm -hmm. like practicing in my head, like on the subway ride on the way there of what program I was doing that day. I had like 0% work that I had to take home. Um, Even emails and stuff, most of them, unless it was about a schedule change, most of them were not urgent and I could handle them when I got back next time to the computer. So uh, you have to work weekends, but like you said, you have to balance that out. Are you working weekends anyway as a teacher? Probably. Are you working nights anyway as a teacher when you are scrambling to change a lesson or all of a sudden you have standardized testing the next day or something? Probably I was. Um, So if you're going to work those anyway, you might as well get paid for them and work an actual shift where you know that you're working from 10 to four that day and that's it. Um, So yeah, it's probably equivalent in the end. Yeah, God, that's such a great point is so many people say, I can't do this on the weekend. Like, girl, you already are. Yes. (laughs) Like you, you have been for years and you'll be able to, I think the benefit of mentally checking out from work is something that if you haven't been in a new position where you get to mentally check out, you don't understand the benefit of that because you think, okay, well, if they're working summers and weekends at this museum position, that sounds awful because in your head, the second you check out 6 p.m. on a Saturday, maybe you work until 10 p.m. on a Saturday, but that's not really the case. You work from, you know, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then you're done. And Sunday, you don't think about work whatsoever unless something really huge happened. Yeah. So make that mental shift of, oh, wait, I'm already working on the weekends. I might as well be getting paid and have it be an actual shift. Um, The other thing that I was going to say is you can take a vacation. Uh, Teachers love, we love to think, oh, we have the whole summer off, but then we feel shitty about taking a vacation during the middle of the school year because, well, you get the whole summer off. Why do you need to go to your friend's wedding that's in, you know, in February? Whereas with a year-round job, you can take vacations. You can take two weeks off to go on vacation. You can take a week off for your friend's wedding. It still had some of the kind of guilt of sick days because you did have presentations and programs you were supposed to give that day. So if you came out sick, if you called out sick, they had to kind of scramble to get someone else to teach that school program. But in terms of like taking a vacation, take that vacation. It's a year round job. There's going to be no guilt about taking a week or two off to, you know, take that family vacation you wanted. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's one of the situations that I feel teachers who are making this decision always are kind of struggling with whether or not they'd have time to spend with their family. But I, when I was teaching, you know, I didn't go on vacations on the weekends. I didn't do even a quick Saturday, Sunday trip because I said, I, I can't, I have school on Monday. And, in and other you're so positions, tired when you do, you're so tired when you do that it wasn't worth it. Like I literally didn't go to someone's wedding because I was like, I'm going to be too tired if I have to fly out Friday night, fly back Sunday night. What if the flight's delayed? I don't have my stuff prepped for Monday. So you don't go. Yep. Plenty of concerts that I bought two days worth of festival tickets for, but then just left early on you know, the Sunday at 5pm and didn't get to see the very cool headliner. I think it was the Strokes. 
So that ages me some of how cool that was when that came out. But so many different opportunities that I passed out just based on not working on weekends, quote unquote, not working on weekends. Uh, Pivoting a little bit, talking about your experience working at a zoo, because that is the last one we have not touched. Yes. What was it like for you working at a zoo? What was your position there? I uh, actually started off volunteering at the zoo. We, so the real like hard and fast reason that I left the science museum is that we actually moved back to the U.S. Um, My husband had a job opportunity here. We kind of wanted to be a little closer to family. Um, So we moved to Minnesota and got here and I was like, all right, I'm going to start looking for jobs. I know I like working at, you know, science museum type places. So I'm going to start applying for jobs. And in the meantime, I saw some volunteer positions available at two of the local zoos here. So I started volunteering at both zoos thinking that I could get some knowledge of the zoos and it would maybe give me a leg up if a position came up. Um, That is basically what happened Um, at the smaller of the two zoos in the Twin Cities. I was doing some volunteering for school programs and then they were like, wait a minute, you like have done this before. You've worked at a nonprofit, you've worked at a science museum, you've been a presenter in education departments. Let's see if there's any roles that you know, are coming up that might be good fit for you. And they did have a part-time education role that came up while uh, in the first month or so of me volunteering there, actually. So I was working in, um, I was working as an education support staff, had some of the same similar issues of um, the hours not being very consistent. A lot of the entry-level positions at a zoo or a museum, it's part-time. They're not going to guarantee you 40 hours a week. You're not going to get health insurance. You're not going to get some of those benefits at that entry level. Um, so it was really cool. Um, working at a zoo was always kind of a little bit of like a childhood dream of mine. I think I mentioned before that I like thought I was going to be a dolphin trainer when I was like five until I learned that like dolphin training is bad. Um, but anyways, I, I really like liked zoos and animals and things like that when I was growing up. So I was like, this is awesome. Uh, I got to do some animal handling, which was really cool. Um, you just, oh, you like, have to you have to name drop some of the animals now. You can't leave me um, at that. Snakes were the ones that I liked. I know a lot of people are really like squicky about snakes, but um, I really liked handling the snakes. They were really cool. We had a lot of cool like toads and poison dart frogs. We had um, chinchillas and tortoises. Um, The mice were the worst. They were really bitey. Um, We had a bunny. We had, I I didn't get to like handle any of the really cool ones. Like if you're you're there for longer, you can do penguins, you can do the sloth. um, You can do some of like the birds of prey. Um, I didn't work there long enough to do those ones, but, uh, it was really fun. A uh, hedgehogs was another common one we got to pick up. They did not like to be picked up, but we, we did get to handle the hedgehogs. Um, ooh, some big lizards to a tegu. If you don't know what that is, it's amazing. It's like a four foot long, like black and white giant lizard thing. Um, and it was amazing. It loved to be scratched on its belly. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. funny that I feel like that is the way that maybe a lot of zoos or animal rescues are structured. Uh, We synced a little bit prior to starting this interview and I told you that I worked very briefly one day at an animal nonprofit, but I ended up not finding that it was a good fit. It felt very much like, is it Carol Baskins on Tiger King, where I thought that I was doing something great and it seemed a little bit sketchy and so I walked away. But it was in the same way of, if you shovel poop for one month, 
then you get to go like be near the tiger or we'll allow you to be the person that like sprays peppermint on this fence and then the bear scratches up against the peppermint and you get to have this bonding experience with a bear and so it was very much like not a pyramid scheme but just like you had to like level up into the into being able to like have a close connection with the animals I will say I had to do a ton of training for like each animal I had to be trained on all of their um like handling information all of their like physiological information all of the signs of if they were stressed if they were tired if they were not not feeling it and you put them away and that was that was always the um the policy for any sort of animals if you go to take an animal and that animal just is not is not feeling it that day they're giving you signs that they're not into it you take a different animal or you don't take that animal so this dude was actually very good about that there was a lot of like handling training ahead of time you had to get checked off on each individual type of animal before you were allowed to take them out um and there was a ton of of training even of like how to transport them like which container this animal use and what do you put in the container for the animal and um and you were i was never allowed to get near the bears or the big cats so at a real zoo probably you're not going to get close to a tiger. (laughs) So with the training, this is an interesting opportunity to ask about who conducts the training for the animals. Do you know if they have to get a specific type of certification in order to have those types of trainings or to present those types of trainings? Um, It was a little bit of both. There were some people that had like um, wildlife certification or um, animal certifications. And there were other people that were just like education coordinators. And uh, once again, a little bit higher up in the organization that had a lot of experience working there and they would then train you. So a little bit of both. There are some certifications that you can get if you want to be, um, you know, a more attractive candidate for some of these things. Um, I'd say most of the people that I knew just worked for a while and kind of proved that they were trustworthy. And then you start with like the most boring animals that are never going to have a problem and you work your way up to the parrot and the sloth and the, you know, the other different animals that are just a little bit trickier to handle um, and probably a little bit less replaceable too. There were a lot of frogs. There was only one sloth. (laughs) Wait, oh no. All frogs are equal. (laughs) <laughs> the frogs were great. I love the poison dart frogs. Were All so the cool. frogs are very important. They're equal to the one sloth. Um, Ooh, armadillos. Wait, there was armadillos too. They were cool. What types of roles do you think teachers would be qualified for and may want to pursue um, inside of a zoo? Sure. So what I was doing was mostly field trips um, and mostly school programs, which uh, was they are, they were all standards aligned. So you're teaching like actual standards for the different grades. Um, So knowing the standards already, or just having that teaching experience is going to automatically make you an amazing candidate for any sort of like education role. Um, Sometimes the role was talking to the public, but in, in the zoo I was working at, it was primarily like literally like school field trips. And that could be all different ages. We had everything from like kindergarten all the way up to like not so many high school programs, but I'd say the K through eight primarily. Um, so any sort of uh, role where you're doing the school programs is you're, is going to be a great fit for you. And depending on what level you're at, if you go in at the entry level, kind of like what I was saying at the museum, somebody else writes the program. You just have to remember it and figure out where the supplies are and where you pick up the plants and what room number you're in. Uh, once you're higher up, you would be the one kind of um, developing the program itself. So it just kind of depends on what level you enter at. So either way, once again, like if you are more interested in curriculum development, there's higher up roles that you might be a good fit for. And there were those people that were um, actual, I, I forget their name, but in the education team, like the full-time education staff, they did both. They were in charge of certain programs and the the zoo is pretty great about like what your specialty is like, okay, you really like botany, cool, then we'll assign you the orchids program and you can write this new plants program we're doing, or you really like animals, you can do the big cats program. So you can kind of find your niche and do that good balance of developing some programs and still getting to either go out to schools. We did some outreach programs where we would, you know, take animals and plants to different sites or the kids would come to us. My least favorite part of working at the zoo though was doing birthday parties. So sometimes there are some slightly demeaning programs that you have to do if you work in the education department. Uh, As someone who has like a biology degree and a decent amount of uh, experience, I was like, so I'm doing how many birthday parties this weekend? Like, it's not my favorite to do. 
it was literally like you were kind of hosting the party and were not always treated with a lot of respect. It was kind of like, why is the pizza late? When's the cake coming? Why couldn't the kids touch the hedgehog? Um, so that was not my favorite part. So I know a lot of zoos do birthday parties and sleepovers and some of these other programs that I'm sure are really fun for the kids, but not so fun um, for me as an educator. Okay, that is something that I did not know about. I knew that they had birthday parties, but I didn't know that you ended up being, you know, like the project manager of a child's ninth birthday party on top of handling the frogs and snakes. Yes. Yep. So that was not my favorite. And that is something at a zoo, like they're not necessarily going to have like a full-time birthday party person. They're going to lump that into the education staff that already know how to handle the animals. They're already familiar with the facility. They're already, they already have the, you know, the knowledge that you're supposed to be sharing with the kids. So sometimes there are those other things that go along with it. It's not just all school programs all the time. So yeah, be aware of that, I guess. Uh, It does depend on your role and it does depend on um, grant funding as well. I know we talked a little bit about grants before, but at the zoo I was working at, they had a grant that was very specific that that person could only work on a certain type of school program. So it is possible to get a role where you have a very specific focus, but if you kind of go in as more of a general education support staff or a general education staff, you might end up doing a zoo tour for an old lady or a kid's birthday party or something in between that is maybe not as fun and someone listening right now might be like that sounds great like i love i love it i want to do children's birthday parties every single day so and if that's your dream live your dream like go for it (laughs) if you if you want to do all the like birthday parties and the summer camp things and you're like that sounds so fun especially like I have one of my good friends at the school that I used to work at as a kindergarten teacher. Like she probably would have freaking loved to do the birthday parties for the little kids. For me, I was just like, these little kids are cute, but they're not listening to me talking about the snake. And the parents are just yelling at me about the cake and I'm not enjoying this. (laughs) I could not agree more. That's probably (laughs) where I would be starting to exit if I did. Okay. One, you didn't let me get near the big cats. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, strike one, strike two. A parent yelled at me about cake. So. I did get to feed the giraffes, um, which was very cool. Like okay, I got to I like, go back, behind the I scenes. I took back a strike. Take back a strike. We're back on strike one. I got to go behind the scenes and feed the giraffe. And I actually got to bring my brother and his girlfriend one time to go uh, and feed the giraffe as well. So there are some fun perks at these types of jobs. Uh, you can like actually bring your family to see you teach sometimes, depending on what role you're doing. Um, or it might just come with some cool opportunities like, hey, bro, do you want to go feed a giraffe today? So um there were some fun stuff about it too. I love that. If you end up going back, you can hit me up. You have my email address. I am more than happy to come feed the draft. I have a final question for you mm-hmm. because many of the people who are listening, um, teaching was their quote unquote forever career. It may have been the first career they ever tried. So even imagining themselves in any new position is terrifying because changing jobs, no matter who you are, is hard to do it's hard to wrap your brain Mm -hmm. around it like i'm gonna reinvent myself i'm gonna try this brand new thing and it's hard to be the new person you've done a lot have you learned anything specific about yourself by trying out all of these different positions i think i tend to just use the mantra kind of of like what am i going to regret trying this cool new position or staying at the job that i already have and i think usually for me at least Um, I do like to try new things. I like to travel. I like to go new places. Um, So for me, it was always like trying the new thing is going to help me grow more and help me learn more about myself. And sometimes it sucks. And sometimes I learned that I'm not the best with making decisions and that my mental health sucks uh, if I'm working a certain type of job. And other times I learned like, wow, I actually really like teaching and I'm good at teaching. Or I learn, you know what, working at a zoo wasn't quite all it was cracked up to be. I don't regret trying it because it then brought me to the teaching job that I met the students that I loved, even though it was crazy. Um, So I always think trying something new, you're going to learn more about yourself than staying where you're at, especially if you're unhappy. I love that. And I also think the idea of a dream job to me is a little bit of bullshit. Like every job is going to be hard. Like working at a zoo was kind of like, if I had to pick a dream job, it probably would have been working at a zoo or an aquarium. And it was not my favorite place I've worked. It's, I struggled um, having different students every day. I really 
didn't realize it at the time, but I really craved the relationship building with students that you get in a classroom. And I was feeling unfulfilled at the zoo because I didn't get that. I had different students coming in all the time and I was trying to teach them about science and I got to touch the cool animals and bring them to the plants. And I didn't quite feel fulfilled um, having different students all the time. I felt like I was just getting to scratch the surface with each group of kids and not really getting to know who those kids are and, and get into the, the things that I wanted to share with them. So um, for me, I, a dream job is a dream job is just a job at the end of the day it's a job and there's going to be things that you don't like about it and if we build up this idea that we have to have our dream job and everything has to be perfect about it that's unrealistic there's never going to be a perfect job even if it's in a field that you love even if it's at a place that you love it's still a job at the end of the day there's drama there's workplace politics there's you know different hours that you don't like there's birthday parties to go to to, to host like I don't know. I think having expe having clear expectations going into a job too. Like there's no job that's going to be perfect. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I talk about the educational consulting and instructional design position that I've had. And both of those have had their struggles and challenges. I just on a scale can tell you what my favorite jobs were and teaching. I did not feel like myself. For the three years that I was a teacher, I just did not feel like me in the way that I do in these other careers. But I haven't found the 100% perfect fit dream job where everything's amazing. But I found things that have worked great for me. And so that's such a great message for everybody to really understand that everyone does have these challenges and there are going to be some factors. But don't let one or two negative factors impact your decision if there's clearly 10 positive factors in making that change or at least trying something that's new if you're in a situation where you're really unhappy. Heather, before we wrap up, I want to mm -hmm. talk to you a little bit about your podcast. Oh, yeah. So uh, my husband and I have a podcast, very different from this podcast, although I do bitch about teaching sometimes on it. Um, it's more of a pop culture focused podcast, but it's called Digital Digital Get Down. We actually just recorded our 100th episode. We've been doing it for about four years. So if you um, didn't mind the sound of my voice and want to hear me talk some more, um, you can head on over to SoundCloud or um, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and uh, check out Digital Digital Get Down. Um, my husband is also a very talented person and he has a website called Book Digits uh, and it's a book review website. So if you're someone who really likes to read, I know a lot of the teachers out there like me are big readers. So um, it's a great way to just like keep track of your to read list, make reviews, get book recommendations. Um, so you can also check out bookdigits.com or find me on Instagram at, at bookdigits. I will link all of those in this episode's show notes just to make it easier for anybody if you didn't write it down with a piece of paper. So all of that will be in the show notes for today. Heather, thank you so much for coming on. I feel like I learned so much about three completely different jobs that I haven't dove into as much as I really should have, especially with the pandemic kind of shutting down some of these industries. It hasn't mm -hmm. been one that I focused on, but as things, you know, knock on wood, start to open up, COVID's over I, November of 2021. I'm calling it because that's when my wedding is. So it's gonna be <laughs> gone by then. But this is something that so many teachers have asked for and I couldn't have had a better guest on than you to talk about it and explain it because you did such a great job. Thank you, Daphne. This was so much fun. I, I know we only got to talk briefly um, when we met a couple weeks ago, so I'm so glad we got to dive into it a little bit more and, and talk a little bit more. And um, your podcast is great. So thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. I want to give a huge thank you to Heather for coming in and sharing her story and advice for our community. If you are a former teacher who's interested in sharing your story with our audience, either as a former teacher spotlight or potentially on this podcast, if we have an opening, shoot us a DM on our Instagram at Teacher Career Coach. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the very next episode of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast.